Hi, I'm Jacqueline Kinser, and for the past five years, I've been helping families all around the globe to overcome their breastfeeding challenges. And this is the first non-clinical breastfeeding podcast that shows you how to rock breastfeeding and master motherhood through practical tips, mindset shifts, and honest conversation to create a confident and empowering breastfeeding journey. This is the Breastfeeding Talk Podcast. All right, welcome to the podcast. I have Dr. Daniel Lopez-Dio. He's a board-certified osteopathic manipulative treatment and regenerative medicine specialist that practices at Osteopathic Integrative Medicine in Lakewood, Colorado. He's a graduate of Midwestern University, Arizona College of Osteopathic Medicine. So, hey, he's from Arizona. Uh, And he's been studying how tongue, especially when tethered, affects the whole body anatomically and in overall health for over six years. And I think I found Dr. Lopez from an article that one of my teachers had shared or sent me. And I immediately started reading everything that he has on his website. He's written so many amazing articles. I'm super excited to have you on the show to talk about what it is that you do. So welcome. Thanks. Thank you. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm excited to um, be here and, and uh, have this conversation and, and share more about what I do, because I, I definitely feel like a lot of people don't understand uh, our profession. And, and strangely enough, I'm like, it started here in, in uh, Missouri in the 1800s. And, and uh, people here still, we're like an unknown entity out here in the States. So uh, yes. And it's so interesting that you say that because uh, I uh, recently uh, went through a major car accident and some injuries and uh, my main injury doctor who I've been working with uh, has a history of being an ER physician. And he told me that he worked at an osteopathic hospital here in the Phoenix area and that that was most emergency medicine used to be DOs practicing apparently. And so he had seen a lot of what the you know, manipulative treatments can do for patients. They were still practicing that. And now I see a lot of DOs out there really don't do the manipulative treatments, but you do. So I'd love for you to describe maybe, you know, kind of overall what you do, um, you know, in your treatment and, and how your style of practice is different from what people normally think of when it comes to, you know, other forms of body work or just, you know, a general DO. Sure. This this may end up being a pretty long uh, explanation, but I'll just start out with, with, in a sense, kind of explaining my story and, and kind of how I got into it, because I think that'll, that, that will help. But uh, when, when I was growing up and in, in, I, I was a swimmer and, and um, in high school, I was one of those one of those people that every 20 minutes or so in class, I would get this nagging pain in my back and my spine. And then I'd have to twist in my chair and try to pop it and try to pop it the other way. And then I'd try to pop my neck. And over time, I was, I was looking for answers for that. And uh, it just seemed to get worse and worse. And then when I got to college, it, you know, still having to do that all the time. I, I was eventually having a, this feeling like I had to pop my tailbone. So I'd be like slumping in a chair, like trying to maneuver, you know, in, in a way to try to pop my tailbone. But having to do that, like every 20 minutes, I, I kind of felt like, okay, there's got to be an answer for this that will resolve this. But 
part of the problem for me was like, or one of the epiphanies that I had was, well, if, if popping, you know, like this, trying to pop, if, if popping it is the solution, then why do I keep having to do it every 20 minutes? And, and so I don't say that to be critical or anything like that, but I, I know that feeling. Uh, and I know when people say, for example, like, you know, when, when you try to pop something, they're like, stop doing that. It's a bad habit. I'm like, well, it's not really a habit. When you have that feeling, you can't make it go away and it'll drive you crazy until you try to do something about it. Uh, but when, um, when I started uh, osteopathic medical school out there in Arizona, I was still searching for answers for that. And out there, uh, I met a doctor who wasn't affiliated with our school and, and who became uh, my, ma my main mentor. But going to him after a few visits, I remember sitting in class one day and just uh, not having that feeling. And I think I watched one of my other classmates who was there twisting, trying to pop his back. And, and suddenly it occurred to me, I was like, oh, I don't have that feeling anymore. So then I, I twisted and my, everything just felt like a nice stretch. And, um, and, and so I was like, is this what normal people feel like? You know? and, and, and from there, uh, I, I then wanted to really understand what had happened because I was still very early on in my education at that point, but I wanted to understand what this doctor did differently because he didn't pop a single thing and in fact his treatment was probably very subtle but also seemed to get changes where i'd never been able to get changes before and and so uh over my training and trying to understand this as best as i can what i've what i've really learned to discover is that you, we, we have to look at the body a bit differently uh you know and, and part of that Part of that is what makes uh, our osteopathic treatments uh, differently. We're not necessarily um, focused on trying to force things. We're not trying to make determinations on like, okay, your body, like for example, we'd say this vertebrae is over here, but it needs to be over here. So I'm just going to crank on it and, and until it is in alignment and then everything is, I'm going to assume that everything is great. Uh, you know, the, what I've come to do now is I look at the body in terms of, well, if, if something, for example, is over here, but it feels like it should be over here. Uh, now I ask the question of, well, why is the body doing that in the first place? You know, rather than looking at it like it's this static structure and it's just somehow something went wrong and the body has no control over it. It's the, the question then becomes like, well, what if the body is actively doing that for a purpose? And when you look at it that way, it changes things. So it's not just about forcing something. It's about working with the body. So, so our treatments tend to be um, fairly gentle, but they also are a lot more comprehensive. We, we look at the body anatomically in a more holistic way because when something is, doesn't seem to be structurally functioning correctly, then I go through this series of, of uh, I ask myself, you know, anatomically, what, what, what are all the things that could be influencing this that, that, are, that would force this to change? And, uh, and then what, I, what we do is rather than trying to impose a, like force something into, into place, we're asking more, okay, what does the body need to heal this? So really our, our treatments end up being pretty gentle because what we're trying to do isn't is to trigger the body to heal itself. We're just trying to tap into the body's own self-healing mechanisms. Uh, 
and um, and trigger the body to heal itself. And I think a good story that I can that I can share that kind of explains that in a way that um, also ties back into the tongue. And what you were saying about emergency medicine uh, is uh, a few years ago, um, I actually had had put together this whole presentation on how the tongue is uh, connected to the rest of the body. And I had gone through anatomically and done a lot of research and, and, and done that. But I had been asked to give this talk at a, uh, I live out in Denver and, and it was out here. Uh, it, it just a, a, a course uh, for dentists and things like that. And I just kind of had been asked to do that last minute. But so I went, I went and, and gave that talk, but in the middle of it, you know, as I'm going through, uh, one of the actually teachers of that course didn't seem to be very impressed by what I was saying. So he started, you know, like, I, I kind of asked a hypothetical question as of being like, I'm trying to figure this, you know, this out. And I, so I was wondering why this is, why this is happening. And then I would hear from the peanut gallery, you know, like him say like, well, it's not happening or something like that. But the point of that is it just kind of threw me off and I was like, oh, and then in the middle of that presentation, I'm starting to have this whole like self-doubt of, oh my God, am I just a total like fool for doing all this? Like, you know, am I really like, is there something to this or, or am I just making all this stuff, this stuff up that I've been discovering? And, uh, but then after immediately after giving that presentation and i was done i get a call from my dad and i was like well this is weird why is he calling me so uh you know he i answer and he he tells me like uh you know i don't want you to be alarmed but your mom was in a car accident and um she's in the emergency room now everything seems fine well it turned out she broke her sternum and uh one of the things about about it is that uh, she lives within walking distance to, to me so and, and she's a big fan of what we do uh, but when when I got home after that and and she got home from the ER she asked me to to treat her and and, and she had her her sternum that was fractured and so she was having some pain with breathing and just pain overall from the accident but she asked me to work on her and, and this was a unique thing for me because I never really get to treat somebody who's just had a fracture and uh and also they obviously don't cast the sternum so it was it, it did give me a chance but as i was working on her for for a long time i was working on her her sternum the rib cage doing all these gentle things but i wasn't really making as much of a as much progress as i really had wanted and and then it finally like dawned on me like I just gave this whole presentation about how the tongue is connected to the rest of the body. And I'm talking about how it's connected to the chest and how a lot of the fascia, the connective tissue goes down to the sternum and really makes a, a, a big shift there. So I'm like, all right, well, let me, let me uh, not just talk the talk, but let me walk the walk. And so uh, I, I, I worked in her mouth and and manually released her tongue and as soon as her tongue released she takes this deep breath in and then you hear this audible clunk in her sternum and then she's like oh, okay now i can breathe much better and that like relieved a lot of my pain wow. and but but the thing about about like this these osteopathic treatments is that sometimes they seem magical and it's not because they're magical it's like 
for example, someone comes in and they have this sternal pain and we're like, all right, let me work in your mouth, you know, and they don't understand that it's all connected. You work in your mouth, they suddenly feel better there. They're like, well, I don't know what he did, but suddenly I feel better. But, but for us, we have to understand how the, the whole body is anatomically connected and how each affecting one piece affects everything else. So I hope that kind of explains it in, in, in some way, but it's, it's a lot about knowing anatomy in depth and understanding that everything affects everything else. And the last piece that I'll, I'll leave you with is that it's, it's also about everything that's a structure can affect everything else. So we a lot of times like to be reductionistic and be like, well, the musculoskeletal system has nothing to do with the organs and vice versa. And this structure has nothing to do with that structure. And, and, and I always try to describe it in this way. I'm like the muscles, bones, tendons, those are all, they're organs, you know? So, so in reality, what we're saying, like when we say like the muscle musculoskeletal system has nothing to do with the abdominal organs, you know, it's kind of like saying like, well, organs don't communicate with each other. And, and uh, the body to me just doesn't work that way. It's so we also have to be paying attention to uh, what's happening with the organs when, when people have pain and issues. It's, it's not just we're only going to look at the musculoskeletal system and pretend that nothing else is, could possibly having an effect on that. So, uh, yeah. yeah, no, you've, you've explained that so beautifully. And I think anybody who's listening is going to be just as captivated as I am because it's like you're speaking my love language. I just, I've always been all about the root cause of something, right? So it's never, you know, in my, in my field, helping breastfeeding moms, the nipple pain isn't because your nipple tissue is sensitive, right? There's something right. functionally going on there or, you know, the baby who's, who's crying and colically isn't, you know, just, you know, it, it may, it might be a food intolerance. It might be a tongue issue. It might be a combination of things. And then maybe the reason they can't digest well is because their tongue is so tight and, and all these things that I'm always trying to explain how it's connected and, you know, how breastfeeding is about posture and, and all these things. And parents are like, well, why would tummy time help, you know, or why would this help her? And so I think you're doing a good job of really setting the stage for this larger conversation we're going to have about, you know, breastfeeding and especially for the baby, the tongue and there, it's a whole body experience. I think, like you said, we're, we're kind of being reductionist a lot of the time and compartmentalizing things that breastfeeding is about a breast and a baby's mouth. Well, yes, but it's also about everything else that those, you know, the breasts of the mouth are attached to. And so when I have the opportunity and I see a need for a baby to be referred to someone like yourself and, and think hopefully you've connected me with some amazing, incredible doctors here locally um, that I've just seen phenomenal results with and parents are just, you know, kind of said what you said, it's just magic. I don't know how my baby's head shape changed so much or, you know, and I'm like, I don't know how to explain it, you know? <laughs> so you did a really good job of explaining that, but I would love to dive in deeper about the tongue specifically, yep. you've put out so much information out there already. And like you said, you, you did this conference presentation, you have so much more that you've done and that's coming. Maybe we could just talk about the tongue and, you know, for parents who are listening, especially, what do they need to understand about the tongue and its importance with breastfeeding, but also other issues they might be seeing in their babies? 
Yeah, that is great. Um, and, and I actually just recently wrote an article about uh, how the tongue is it not just not really necessarily going into depth about how the tongue is connected to the rest of the body, but actually showing people how it's connected to the rest of the body. And, and, you know, I, I know I have uh, put together these presentations anatomically to explain it all, but I still had trouble demonstrating it for people. And then uh, recently, uh, in the last uh, six, seven months, I, it, I finally found a way to, to show it to people. And what I, what I end up having people do is uh, I have, you know, with an adult, I have them, you know, find a partner and, and I, you know, have their partners stand up and, and I tell the, uh, the other person to put their hands on their, on their hips. And, uh, and then what we do is I try to have, I try to explain to them like, okay, now we're going to, we're, we're going to see how tongue posture is affecting the body, the body's posture, the overall posture. And so uh, I tell them to start with uh, having the person put their tongue on the floor of their mouth, so not on the not on their palate where it should be. And when they do that, a lot of times the hips are a little bit uh, off; they're not level. And then I, I, I tell the the I, I tell them like tell your partner now to take their tongue and put it on the on the roof of their mouth, and immediately you'll see this shift. And then I say, okay, now put it back down. And there will be things will go back to the way they were before. So it and, and I try to explain to them. I'm like this. This isn't just like a parlor trick. This is the body uh, in real time showing how just moving it from the palate where it should be to the floor of the mouth where a mouth breather is putting their uh, their tongue. How that's affecting the whole thing. And, uh, and, and, and so that's, that's something that um, I recently uh, uh, did a post about, but then also, I don't know, it always comes back to this, but um, my mom actually just had a tongue tie release uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, and this is her second, and, and the first time she did hers was around the same time I did my first one. And when we did it at that time, it was primarily done as an anterior release and uh and 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 i kind of felt like i feel like there's still more like there's a lot more that needs to be released so i went back and to the same person had it done and he did the same thing and then i didn't really feel that much different so i kind of had given up on it for a while but uh, over the next couple years as i learned more i i realized i still had a big piece intact and i could feel what it was doing to to my body my posture it's like being like pulled down so uh, there, there ends up being a lot of extra tension, and and, and so, what I ended up, uh, uh, so I ended up getting that done, and then at that point I kind of knew, okay, my mom potentially needs more, and I've been trying to tell her about it for years, and and finally she just did it a few weeks ago. But one of the things that I did do, which I, I posted a picture in my article, was uh, kind of a similar thing. I took pictures of her uh, hips, uh, just standing posture. Uh, before where the right hip was about an inch higher than the left. And unfortunately it doesn't show as well as, as in the pictures, but afterwards it was, it wasn't completely level, but it was a dramatically different. But, and the other thing that you don't really capture from that picture is how much more her, her back felt just after that release. Uh, and, and so, 
there, there just is that understanding of, okay, this is having a, a much an impact on, on much more than just, it's not just about the tongue and it's not just about breastfeeding. I mean, cause then we're talking about, um, uh, you know, craniofacial development. And a lot of people have talked about that. And, uh, I, 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 um, also recently was explaining, you know, like I, I often struggled with the concept of, okay, you put the tongue up on the roof of the mouth and that's going to bring the palate down and widen it. I was like, well, why, if you're pushing up, does it come down? Like I, you know, it, it was something that I, um, I, I was like, that doesn't fully make sense to me how that happens. But then, but I did want to understand it. And so uh, through part of our, our training as osteopaths, we, we talk about something that's called the, the, the cranial, uh, the cranial rhythm. And, and that is a, a primary respiratory mechanism. And that is an underlying motion that happens similar to, uh, how your chest expands and compresses when you're when you're going through your breath, but it's a it's something that's going through your whole body, and and really that happens with your breath too. I mean, when you take a deep breath in, you know your shoulders rotate out. Then when you breathe out, they rotate in. It's it's pretty subtle, and then you know the same thing is happening with your hips and legs, and and even in, into your head. Uh, and, and so uh, with this cranial motion, though, what I what I what what I ended up feeling as I was uh, trying to understand this uh, was that when when the tongue rests on the palate it goes through uh, and say like we're going through this inhalation phase like you're breathing in your palate will or your tongue will rise up towards the palate and and then splay out so it'll widen and then when you breathe out it kind of gets drawn back down and narrows and by doing that there's this suction motion that's also taking place that's widening the palate but also drawing it down and as that happens i think that if you look at somebody who has a high arch uh let me see let's say it like this so, so the teeth also if this is the alveolar ridge are going to be lower than they should be but if you bring the palate down the teeth also end up coming up and that's going to have an, an effect on the on the mandible but um, um and can i can i ask a quick question yeah, because I've I've seen some debate in our community of professionals who work with tongue ties. What came first, the tongue that's tied, or the high palate, or is it neither? Uh, I think it's a combination of both, personally. Uh, and I, I just want to say one more thing uh, about that tongue motion: is there's also a going forward and back uh, when when things are are happening, because that also helps bring the the palate forward. But uh, I don't know which which came first. I mean, my feeling is they're both there kind of uh, simultaneously because I think in as as the as a baby's uh, developing in in utero, uh, if the tongue can't go up to the palate, it's also not going to go through this motion, and they aren't breathing, but they're still going through that motion. The diaphragm still raises and lowers, and and so that motion is still happening, uh, and you know, we know that because, you know, babies hiccup, you know, for example. So we know that diaphragm is, is moving. So uh, that motion still has to happen. And I, from my perspective, if, if the tongue is tethered and it physically can't get to that palate ever, uh, that's going to affect the, the development of, of, of everything. I mean, 
and, and it's not just that from my perspective. I mean, if, if you've ever heard of the uh, concept of uh, uh, mechanotransduction, uh, it's, it's a concept where um, the cells, uh, the, the tension that the cells have around them is also something that they need. They also use it for signaling. And, and so what that means is having too much or not enough tension can be affecting the way something grows. So if you think about it, if, if someone is tongue-tied, for example, um, the, uh, oftentimes we find that, that people have underdeveloped, small underdeveloped jaws. And one of the thoughts I've had, and I have, obviously have no way to prove this or anything like that, is... But what I, what I do often feel is that people who are tongue-tied, it's, you know, the tongue attaches to the uh, genial tubercle on the, on the other side of the mandible, yeah, on, the, on the chin, uh, on the inside of the chin, I guess you could say. And, but it's not just about that muscle attachment. The rest of, there's also all the tissue that attaches onto the inside along the, the jaw here. And a lot of that is often very tender and sensitive on people and I often work on releasing that. But that often, when, when people are tethered, that tension is also more than, is, is stronger than I generally feel. And I feel like when people are tethered more on one side than the other, I can feel that pull into their jaw stronger. Now, um, the reason that to me is, is important because, is, is because if, if there's that extra tension pulling in, my thought is, I wonder if uh, part of the reason we have underdeveloped jaws is because that tension is kind of giving the signal of, of increased tension from the inside, like, all right, mandible, stop growing. Like, we've, got, we, we've gotten to the amount of tension that we need. And, and it's not quite that simple because then there's also the upper jaw that plays a role like with how the mandible develops, but, but there's also the, the issue of then the tongue isn't also properly developing the upper, the upper jaw as well. But uh, that is something that I do think potentially is happening. Uh, and, um, and then I can't remember if I was going to say anything more regarding that. But, uh, but that, <laughs> no, that's that, that really is, good. That's, I, I think that there's a big piece of what you're saying that really can be proven, right? Because, you know, I've worked with adults doing myofunctional therapy, but mostly children and, and babies. And when the tension is released, you know, through the manual therapy that you're describing and in combination with the tongue or lip tie releases, I, I do see the baby's chin shifting to be more forward and the, the maxilla and the mandible are now more even, the right. palate broadens and lowers and you, you know, pull down the chin, take a little peek in the mouth, we see the tongue is up against the palate. Uh, and then babies sort of have maybe a, a little bit different of an advantage than adults because they're younger and there's more, um, you know, not, not so much solidified bone as there are in adults. So it's a little more malleable, uh, you know, their, their cranial plates aren't fused, all those things. And, and we just see these changes more visibly. And, and I think more quickly because one parents are, are paying close attention to every little bit of their baby as they're holding them and watching them grow and develop. But those changes that, we wouldn't have otherwise seen had they not gotten that treatment. I know for sure, because I see parents that refuse the treatment. And over time, it seems that those issues get worse. The jaw gets tighter, the baby's latch gets more shallow. And, you know, the issues seem to become worse, not better, just because they're growing. And, you know, I don't know if um, 
you have some perspective on growth and growth spurts and, and how that affects things too, because I, I definitely have parents say, well, a lot of things changed after this, you know, growth spurt. Well, I think there's, there's a myth out there, this misconception, um, that, um, for example, babies will outgrow or their tongue ties or that the tongue ties was going to stretch and that, you know, you leave it for a year and, and they're going to be fine. And, and the reality is, uh, that doesn't, that doesn't happen. I mean, ever. And, and uh, I actually, again, kind of going back, I wrote an article about this recently, but I, I, I the best way I can explain it is, uh, is, you know, the, the, the way the tongue ties develop is similar to how, uh, you know, the webbing in our fingers and toes develop. And so initially when, when we're in utero and, and we're start, starting out development, we look like aquatic animals, you know, we have the, the uh, webbing all the way up to our fingertips. And then the cells in the webbing go through this apoptosis program cell death where they recede until they get to, to where they need to. Now in, in abnormal situations, what ends up happening is, you know, you can get some of the, some of the cells recede, but then the, the, the process stops prematurely. And then you end up with, you know, you could end up with two fingers tethered together. Now, if, and I, I try to explain this to, to parents, I'm like, or, or to people, I'm like, if, if you had a baby that was born with, with fingers tethered together and you took them to a doctor and the doctor said, you know what, I don't want you to worry about this because that your child is going to outgrow this. Would you be like, this guy is a total nut. And I'm <laughs> like, there's no way that's going to happen because that's the way it works. Like that tissue isn't going to magically somehow correct itself at that point. And, and so it's the same thing with a tongue tie. Uh, and, and just like with it, with, if you had tethered fingers, I mean, you, you might try stretching it up, stretching those fingers out and stretching the tissue, but those, those tissues aren't made to stretch. So, um, that you may get some more flexibility there, but in reality, you're never going to have those tissues stretch the way like enough to restore normal function. And That's such an excellent way to describe that. So thank you for that. The, the hand analogy, I think, is really effective for parents to understand the not outgrowing, you know, what you're describing. Yeah. And I, and I tell people, I'm like, all right, now imagine this kid trying to play the piano, you know, and I'm like, they maybe we'll get good at it, but they're never going to be as good as if you were just able to surgically correct that because, and really something that I try to explain too is what the end goal of what we're really trying to accomplish isn't to mutilate the tongue or the child or baby or whatever. It's really to finish the process, to restore it the way it was meant to be. So again, if you had, if you had fingers tethered, you'd just be trying to restore normal function and that's what we're trying to do with the tongue you're not trying to do anything more than that you're not trying to you know obviously inflict pain and cause harm and all that your your underlying goal is to restore function the way nature would have intended it to be if that process hadn't gone wrong yeah that's a really really beautiful explanation and and yes i hope that that parents who are listening out there know that we're never trying to do harm. And I always try to impress upon my clients, 
look, I really don't want your baby to go through a painful procedure. That's not my goal. I, I had to do it with my children and, and it was, it was heartbreaking, but I knew they needed it. And this is why, and this is what you're going to see on the other side coming out of it. Um, I think a lot of parents, you know, have a, an easier time understanding the direct effects of the tethered tongue on the tongue itself. But you've already talked about some other things in the body about the sternum and the diaphragm. Would you mind going a little bit deeper in, in how you see tongue tie affecting, you know, specifically babies in other ways just besides, you know, the, the obvious symptoms that we might see? Yeah, and, and I've looked at, at this a lot with adults. So, I mean, let me just go there first a little bit just because I think then yeah. it'll help to explain that. But, but with adults, what I often see is, um, and I've been experimenting with this a lot, is, is how much the tongue really cause, can cause neck strain. So if there's tongue dysfunction, you have a tongue tie and the tongue is tense, it basically makes it about impossible for the neck to sit on the head correctly. Uh, so with adults, I see a lot of adults who end up having headaches, uh, who have a ton of neck pain and issues, but it goes beyond that. Like I said, it's a whole body thing. It's just a lot of times it shows up pretty strongly there, but then also posture issues. A lot of the forward head, uh, I know a lot of people talk about that being, uh, you know, the body trying to increase the airway, but I don't necessarily fully just see that. I see this this increased tension fascially that happens where the trachea and, and is in a sense like made really tight and pulled down in, in, and it's anchored down into the chest and diaphragm. So because it's stronger down there, things when things tighten overall, they get pulled, people just get pulled down into that posture. And so it, it physically makes it um, impossible for someone to have good posture. They're going to always be fighting this like this strong tension from the inside that's not willing to release. And, and a lot of that immediately releases with, with the tongue tie uh, release. It, it allows the hyoid and the trachea to, to drop and relax. And then suddenly this whole shift in the chest takes place. And then it's like having a, a tube that's been too short, suddenly uh, lengthened. And, and, and so, uh, I haven't really gone into detail about why that is, but like how that happens, but, um, but that is that's something so, that's that I so observe. fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah. So going kind of into with babies and things like that, I mean, again, it's gonna, it's gonna have an effect on how their neck develops if their head can't sit on their neck properly. Uh, and then it's going to have an effect on their chest. They're potentially going to have a much harder time with tummy time because a lot of times there's, they're being pulled forward, so they're they're not able to do um, do like back arches as as, as easily and as, as comfortably. It's going to be having an effect on their whole autonomic their their nervous system and, and how that's developing because their their body knows what's going on. Their, it knows you know, their their nervous system knows that there are problems. But uh, and, and and one thing that I've I haven't really. I don't know that I've heard anybody else talking about, and, and maybe it's just because of what in, in my field, but I'm like, but in, in, I've, I've come to the conclusion that I, I think a lot of, a lot of body aches and pains given no traumas. Like I grew up, I didn't really have traumas, but I had a lot of like aches, pains, problems. Like when people would touch me here, it'd be like just painful. And, and it was like anywhere they touch me, it was painful. And, and, uh, 
And then so having the tongue tie releases made it so that I could finally like my whole body in a sense, like relaxed and stayed relaxed. Now, I also had a lot of amazing like osteopathic body work and things like that, that that had really made a big difference before that. So I already had a, a lot of changes that had taken place, but, but that really made the biggest change with, with certain things that I'd been trying to solve for years where, uh, for example, like jaw muscle, like masseter tension, I was always like, I knew how to release those. And I, I had found it to be super important. You know, I just found that when I released these muscles, like the rest of the body could change. And I understood that through, uh, uh, because of, uh, its influence on, on dura, which is a specialized membrane in the, in the head and then down the spinal cord and all that. But, uh, but every time I would release this, like a week later, it would come back and people, you know, and, and I would do this with my patients and they would say, well, you know, it's, why does this keep happening? And, and at that point, the best answer I had was, was well, stress, you know, but um, they, a lot of times they were like, well, I haven't really been stressed. And, and that sometimes was my experience too, where I'm like, well, I, I feel, I felt very relaxed. But then the question I started trying to figure out is, okay, like, I mean, if it is stress, like, what is it that, how can someone be worry-free, we'll say, yet their body still be completely stressed out? And, and eventually, as I learned about, uh, you know, airway issues as well, it was like, okay, well, if you're not breathing at night, you know, then uh, your body's going to be stressed regardless of whether you're on vacation or not. But when I, when I finally did my tongue tie releases, my face muscles finally relaxed and stayed relaxed. And that allowed a huge change throughout the, the rest of, of my body. And, and so um, I've, I've found that with a lot of my patients, a lot of times when, when they come in uh, having headaches, neck pain, uh, one of the first things I do is just manually treat their tongue. And even though I can't undo what the, what the tongue tie is doing, like the, I'm, I end up being limited in, in terms of how much I can get to let go because sometimes things won't let go because of the tongue tie, but I can still make an enough, oftentimes enough of a difference that their neck shifts and then their head sits differently on their neck. And then at that point, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, all right, if we get stuck in this cycle of having to go come, have you come back over and over and over, then, then it's like, all right, we, we need, we need to start talking about whether you need to have this procedure done or not. Most of the time it is. Yeah. But, no, that's, but, that's really excellent. I think that was kind of what I had found with, um, with my daughter and I kind of shared her story on a more recent uh, episode before this one. And I was in a bit of denial with her that she was tied because I had my perfect pregnancy and perfect home birth and just, perfect postpartum and thought, you know, there's no way, there is no way my baby is tied. It's not happening to me. Uh, and she was, but it, I had kept taking her for the body work and it would help. And then she would seem to get tense again and start spitting up again. And it was just this cycle that kept happening, unfortunately. And so she would feel relief and then it would come back. And for sure, I started to see the pattern of, well, every time she was feeding, which is a lot when you're a newborn, at the end of the day, she would be very upset and, and even start to become colicky where I couldn't calm her, you know, and it's, 
if your tongue is always sort of fighting itself, it makes sense where she's trying to move it one way, but it won't. And then she's creating all this tension. And then it just seemed like, you know, she could no longer even really open her mouth uh, enough. And so then we'd go get more body work and she could. And then like you're saying, you can only do so much on your end of things. But I also would say that had I not done that piece of the body work with her, uh, I don't, I don't ever see that the tongue tie release itself would have been a full benefit because if she still had all that other tension in place, do you, do you see that causing some issues in your patients that, you know, they, they can't just do the tongue tie release. There's other areas that need to be released that you really have to work on as the DO. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as, and and as I've talked about, you know, like kind of going through like how the whole body is connected to, to the tongue, you know, in, in, in different ways. So that, you know, and I, I find the tongue to be the most powerful driver of, of things, but that doesn't mean that there aren't other places that um, need to be addressed and, and, and looked at and, and released. And I think a lot of times when you do, uh, for example, the diaphragm, uh, you know, it, for, it, can, it, it can be pretty strong. And I, I still find that a lot of times releasing the tongue releases the diaphragm more than vice versa. But that doesn't mean that if there isn't still an underlying issue, once you release the diaphragm through the tongue, uh, that if there's still diaphragm tension and problems, that's still fascially going to be ultimately affecting the tongue uh, and, and vice versa. Same with the rib cage and, and, and things like that. So there's, there's a lot of places that, that need to potentially also be addressed. Uh, and, and I know just personally after having, um, you know, my more, the most, uh, my, my most recent tongue tie that where I had them go deep and, and it really made a big difference as well. But even after I healed from that, I still ended up finding places in my mouth, in my tongue that were still really sensitive, really sore. Uh, and I still had to release those muscle fibers. And so you can't just also assume that you do the, the tongue tie release and that everything is magically better and and releasing those made an improvement again kind of this posture thing where i suddenly felt like okay now i'm not being dragged down and and it was just from releasing the vertical muscles of the tongue that then finally allowed it that allowed that space to kind of like lengthen out and and, uh, and help with that improvement so uh, you know, it's there can be still things going on in the mouth even after tongue tie release, but also the rest of the body, and I think those all need to be addressed. I mean, our work, we're what we're really trying to do is is get the body to function as optimally as possible structurally, and and so that's what we're ultimately about, and and uh, so that's that's what we're trying to do, and that should be the underlying goal. I mean, really, like it's. The, the tongue is just a big influencer of that, but it's not the whole thing. So uh, I hope that answers the question. It does. It does. And I, I always know this comes up and I'm sure it's coming up as people are listening. Probably one, they've done the exercise while they're listening of, you know, I'm breathing. Where is my tongue? Do I feel it moving? And, and all of that, as you so eloquently described, but also thinking, you know, especially a new mom who's listening going, you know, yes, I'm, 
I'm sleep deprived or, you know, I just had a baby and my body's recovering from birth, but, you know, I have these aches and pains or maybe I always have, or maybe some developed in in pregnancy and haven't quite gone away. And they might be recognizing some things in their own bodies with this. And a lot of parents, you know, we, we discover the baby's tied, right. And, and, or they kind of suspect it. And then I show them, you know, here's the limited movement and, and this is why. And, and they go, well, you know, I, I kind of think I'm tongue-tied too, or, or my husband's totally tongue-tied. He snores, or he's always got headaches, or, you know, yep. he's, he's got TMJ problems, or, you know, and I just hear this so much. They are probably listening to you and, and your story about your body and your mom and thinking, oh, yes, of course, I've got something going on as well. Um, and for those people listening, I kind of feel like we almost all have something, you know, um, I for sure was, was tongue tied as well and have had it released. And, you know, I, I remember after getting mine released that I felt like I took the first deep breath in my whole life ever. And it was, my shoulders dropped and my posture changed. And I remember as a child, my mom always telling me, you know, stand up straight, straighten your back. And I was like, this is as straight as it goes. I can't force it to go any straighter than this. And now decades later, I have the answer why. So right. you're answering a lot of questions for people and not everybody lives in Denver, but I know you've got so many amazing, like I said, the beginning of the, op, uh, in the interview, you've got some amazing articles on your website, blog posts you've written, you've got courses kind of coming out with something new. I would really love for you to talk about that. How can people, one, maybe even find someone like yourself if they want to see someone in person, or obviously they can see you if they're in the Denver area, but two, some of the resources that you've put together online for people. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that a little bit. So the the, the first thing is, I guess, just how to find somebody. And uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, I can't tell you that everybody that does the work that I do is necessarily well versed in, in treating tongue and and, and and things like that. But uh, for me, a lot of this has been uh, my own personal journey, me discovering things and, and testing out and experimenting and, and learning and and writing about it, but uh, not everybody obviously has done that. So, but that doesn't mean there aren't amazing people out there that can still uh, provide a lot of value. If you wanted to find somebody, I think the best resource is through the Cranial Academy and the website there is uh, cranialacademy.org. And they have a link for a find a provider. And so you can try to find somebody in, in your area that way, that's probably the, the best directory, I think, that uh, I generally would send people to uh, and, and go from, and at least use that as a starting point. Uh, as far as like, if you wanted to go through and, and read some of the articles and things that I have, um, one of the first places to go to, or the, the first place to go to would be uh, uh, my website, and that would be daniellopezdo.com. And I have I have uh, articles on there. I've recently put in a actually a, a tongue meditation audio that that I've uh, that I've made and and I made that for so so people could just in a sense like have an experience of how their tongue is related to the body, feel this motion that we were talking about, and uh, and then try to feel how it's how it's all connected uh, in, in just a, a subtle but helpful way and, and one of the oral myofunctional therapists that uh that recently downloaded it was was telling me she was like i meditate every week and and uh i have never really like 
focused on, on the tongue like and, and felt it in that way so it, it it's it's just meant to help give a different experience uh, or a more in-depth experience for for people who who want to do something like that um and then on my on my website too i have a uh, a course, uh, an online course for uh, for people for neck pain and their self help techniques. But a big piece of that is uh, within that is I, I have some uh, tongue self treatment because I do feel like that is the biggest, most important piece. And and I have had people who have uh, purchased the course uh, tell me that oh I you know like I, feel, I can already feel this making a difference, especially the tongue stuff. So I mean this is, this is a unique like neck pain course, but uh, uh, that is what it's um, uh, uh, what 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 it was what I made it for was f- for that kind of thing and, and and so I think that helps people have an an, an interesting uh, experience of you know like seeing their body in a different way and then uh, finally recently I'm working on a more in depth course on how to self treat the tongue and and release different fibers and specific fibers and things like that it's really meant for the general population uh and and that is um, uh, a website uh, i put it on a different website it's called the t element uh, which kind of stands for the tongue element but uh uh, right now i'm still in in the process of developing that course so uh you know if you go to the if you go to the page it's just going to have a a sign up button and, and and then uh, if you want to go through there and you're interested in finding out more when I have it done, then I would just recommend going going in there and uh, signing up and you know send more information once I have the the the, the course completed. But uh, I think that's everything I have with, with that. <laughs> yeah, it's not very much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah, no, and and then I'll be. I, I am actually planning on writing a lot more in the. In the in the near future in terms of uh, more content, more, more ideas, observations, things, things that I've, uh, that I've made that uh, I think people will find interesting that, that I didn't even get a chance to, to talk about today, but you know, I'm sure uh, I, I'll, you know, I'll be adding that information and maybe in a future episode, if there's interest, we can talk about some of the other things. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of guests I've had where I'm like, we definitely need another episode with you. <laughs> um, and I also feel like you're kind of like the Joe Dispenza of the tongue. Like you just really so eloquently state, you know, the interconnectedness of it all. And I'm sure that anyone listening has a much deeper understanding, not only of, of what you offer and what you do, but really just how all these systems are really connected and systems doesn't even really seem like the right word to do it justice but you've just explained it so well. And it might even be an episode where I'm sure people will go back and listen to it a second time and take notes because uh, there's a lot here to take away. So I really just want to say thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your wisdom and your experience with us. And I would just love for you to share any final thoughts, anything that we didn't get to. Uh, You kind of touched on maybe something and uh, anything else you want to share. Uh, let me think. Not at not at this time. Um, well, I'll leave you with one last thought. Might as well do that. Yeah. Uh, something that I've been uh, pondering recently is uh, I kind of touched into on on that a little bit earlier. Was how the uh, I I often feel like one side of the tongue ends up being more tethered than the other, and usually the the more tethered side uh, leads to having a narrower jaw on that side. 
the palette isn't generally, even if it's you've got a high palette, it's generally not symmetrical. So usually the side that is more tethered has a slightly higher palette. But uh, with that, one thing I've I've noticed is it's it's part of a bigger overall picture. And uh, one thing I started noticing recently, looking at my patients, was that their jaws, uh, if you were to take it measure from the angle to the chin, from, compare the left side to the right side, the right side is often shorter. And and I had always noticed that on myself, but then suddenly, I don't know why I never started looking at it for patients, but recently I started looking at that on my patients and every single one had that same pattern. And as part of that, the right ear being, is more forward. And if you look you know, here, the right ear ends up being a little higher and I can see it on you too. Uh, but that's all part of that. I think it's an adaptation to the jaw being smaller is then the temporal bone to form the TMJ has to shift forward because the obviously the the uh, uh, the mandible is shorter, uh, so it's got to come forward, and then and then the being a little bit higher on the right side ends up being a that that's a different type of motion altogether. But but for us osteopaths, we we look at the bones of the skull as not fusing. You know, they have motion between them, and that is a, an important concept for us because that's something that we we treat and address when they get compressed, that in itself can cause problems. And, and so uh, I pay attention to these nuances because to me they're significant and, and have an effect on the nervous system. So I hope that's a fun little thing to ponder. I'm still trying to figure that one out completely, but, uh, but I, I, I do see it almost, I have seen it almost universally and I haven't fully, I don't fully understand it, but it is something that I, that I see pretty, pretty often. Wow. Yeah. No, I feel really seen and I really feel judged right now because I'm sure you're looking at me going, well, that's what's wrong with her. Um, no, but it's great. It's <laughs> You're perfect. There's nothing wrong with any, any of you. I mean, it's not about like, you know, pointing out imperfections in people. It's just understanding sure, no, of course. And all that. I mean, I look at my face and I'm like, I can be really hypercritical and all that. You know? <laughs> um, but it makes sense what you're saying, because I think that there's oftentimes people seeking cosmetic treatments for some of these things that you're saying you know i've i've seen i have i have one ear that sticks out more than the other and i used to be really self-conscious as a kid and when i was older i learned you know you could have the surgery done where they kind of like tie it back or whatever right. which i never pursued you know but i hear differently out of each ear because of the different positions and and there's things like that where you know or or you know the my my orbits around my eyes, those those bones there. I have astigmatism in one eye, and, and one eye is being compressed more than the other. And so there's all these things that you know. Eventually, we can sort of put together the whole picture and go, oh well, that's why that's going on. And I think that final thought that you shared, um, actually, it was an article you wrote, which I'll even dig up on your website and and share. I think it was the first one I read on your site about the orbit development as part of the craniofacial development and the palate and the tongue, and that all being connected. And I remember going to my eye doctor who actually teaches at Midwestern, oddly enough, uh, now, and I brought that to him and he seemed like a really conventional guy. He's an eye doctor, not an osteopath. And I said, you know, do you think that's why people have astigmatism? And he was like, yeah, I could totally see that being why. And I was like, wow, okay, I learned something new. So I've learned so much from this episode from you. I really just thank you for sharing just a small piece of your knowledge and wisdom with us. And yeah, we'd love to have you back for a second episode to share more. 
Sure. We can always talk about the eyes and the orbit and all that. <laughs> I mean, the simplest thing I can say with that is, you know, it's the, it's the same bones that make up the palate that make up the floor of the orbit. So if you affect one and the arch is rising, why wouldn't the orbit be affected either? You know, yeah. It's the same bones, so. Absolutely. So, well, thank you again, Dr. Lopez. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Anytime. Did you know most moms stop breastfeeding in the first month postpartum? I believe succeeding at breastfeeding means having the right mindset. In fact, studies show that the number one factor that determines breastfeeding success is commitment, which is why I've created my incredible audio download of breastfeeding affirmations where I give you actionable mantras so you can breastfeed your baby with confidence and peace of mind. And best of all, it's free. To get access to this audio and PDF, simply visit holisticlactation.com slash mantras, and you can get started right now.